Welcome to the Forbidden Forest. This is Ro reading chapter 65 of the Blood Magic series, The Epilogue. August 31st, 2019. They shared a quick kiss in the back of the practice, feet shoved between a bubbling cauldron and the stand of aged bonsais. The fig roots, though trimmed back each year, still hopeful in their reach toward their neighboring Kigalia. Love is like that, hopeful. Harry let his hands fall away from Draco's tinged pink cheeks, lips half-parted, breath slipping between them, as if ages may pass, as if nothing could interrupt them. Draco's silver-blonde hair was lifted and pushed back from his face, sectioned from Harry's rough hands and insistent grip. See you tonight? Harry's voice was soft and carefree, but he was still looking at Draco with belied intensity. The steam from the simmering potion eddied around them, soft aromas of honey and rooibos, lemongrass and sage. At home, Harry watched Draco's lips form the words, the way he exhaled them, full of relief. At home, Harry felt the corners of his mouth turn up around the words, around the feeling of it, of home of home with the man he loved, of the promise of their evenings, of their lives, stretching on into the future, their future, together. Harry kissed him again quickly, stepping away, leaving Draco to compose himself before seeing the afternoon's patience. Harry loved to leave him flustered, loved their quiet moments together, the way their lives were so separate, so fulfilled, yet they remained so intertwined, the way they drifted in the day and returned to each other each night. Two planetary bodies, two souls, revolving, devolving, falling together and apart. Harry made his way down the hall, his magic trailing behind, not as disciplined, not as quick to untangle the threads that had woven themselves around Draco, that had bloomed and knotted themselves at his feet. He waved a quick goodbye to Juniper, knowing he looked altogether too self-satisfied, too pleased with himself and his afternoon visit, and she had rolled her eyes. The bell tinkled as he stepped into the street, her quiet laughter and the smell of the lilies lingering in the waiting room. Hogsmeade was the same, and different, like Harry and Draco. It had been rebuilt painstakingly, but with so much honesty, with homage to pain, to the war, to the sacrifice of love, to the beauty in surviving. At the end of the quaint side lane that housed the practice, Harry turned and made his way up the central high street of the village. The sun was high in the sky, and he let its warmth wash across his skin, a magic of its own, soft but powerful. At the ice cream shop on the corner, Greg was sharing a double-dipped cone with Luna, both of their attention trained upon the two twins, who had each their own cones, though the heat of the summer afternoon had lent itself to drips of chocolate and vanilla down the fronts of the two ten-year-olds. Harry watched them a moment, cheeks smeared with wide grins, Greg dabbing gently here and there for errant smears of their summer treat, Luna laying a hand on his shoulder, drenched in the happiness of the moment. Harry sees them both regularly at meetings, yes, but as friends when they can find the time to get together. It wasn't two weeks ago he and Greg had repainted the first-floor bedroom at Grimald Place, 
Luna had popped in with Hestia and Neville to critique their color scheme and deliver lemonade, and Harry had felt it. There and then, with their big smiles and laughter that came from their bellies, Harry felt all of the moments that replaced all of the bitterness that had once consumed the ancestral home. He felt all of their triumphs, so resplendent and sure, drowning out the loss and the grief and the pain. He felt all of the lives that those rooms would rebuild, and the wide oak floorboards sang with it. All of the horrors the house would help swallow, for the stones were thick and their magic strong. The door, ironwood, and carved deep with forest scenes now helped keep those who needed containing safe inside, helped hold them, helped hide them. The ironwood helped keep death at bay, and the thestrals cavorted beneath the trees. The adder still huffed, but even he had grown soft for the lives that crossed his path. And no matter the color of the walls, Harry knew that it had become a place where people learned what connection can do, what love can do, what it feels like, how it holds you, safe and whole. And that it had come to be that way because he had fought for it, had lived for it. And Grimald Place was no longer a house for death. Further along the high street, Harry caught a glimpse of Hestia's long braids, spectacularly adorned in a ring of Kigelia flowers, deep red and pendulous in the summer heat, like bells ringing the praises of Hestia. Harry watched her stop to trail her hand along the delicate petals of a withering daisy, and watched it as it returned to full bloom, bright and yellow and untarnished by the summer heat and the lack of rain, for Hestia was her own storm her magic just as life-giving. Years ago, she and Neville had married beneath the sweeping purple clusters of wisteria flowers in a glen far to the east of Tenever's Hollow, petals gently drifting down around them, their bare feet on moss, hands knotted together in the old tradition. And happiness had burst forth and bloomed in all of them, for their love for each other was like that, beautiful and forgiving. It brought life forth everywhere, even in the darkest, most difficult of places. To be near them was to be awash in the summer rains, to drink from the forest springs and grow tall, unafraid of the sun. Their binding had served another purpose, too, for it was after their summer wedding that they had applied to adopt Thor, that they had made a home for a boy who'd never known the advantage of parents, who'd never flourished in the shadows of such careful, unrepentant love. Thor and Teddy had become fixtures of the little garden shop in the years that followed, and their friendship flourished in the exploration of the natural world. Thor, like his newfound family, cultured a fascination with herbology, while Teddy found himself enraptured by the endless wonder of magical creatures. It was in his fifth year he'd found a bow truckle and named him Fig, the little creature making himself a permanent fixture on Teddy's shoulder. The two boys were adults themselves now, having graduated Hogwarts four years prior. Thor had stayed to help run the shop, but Teddy had, under Hestia's gentle guidance, found his way into the Department for the Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures as an expert liaison between humans and werewolves. Harry always wondered if this was Teddy's way to reconnect with the distant memory of his father, or if it was just the great kindness of him that was drawn to advocacy. Hestia's theory was that he had always a bit of a wolf in him, 
and it spoke easily with other wolves through the waning and waxing of the moons. Harry rounded the curve of the road, the towers of Hogwarts just visible in the distant horizon. Hogwarts, another of his homes, where he'd been resident defense against the dark arts professor since McGonagall had first offered him the position, the year after he had started Dumbledore's army back up. Harry slipped his hands into the worn pockets of his jeans, smiling up at the familiar outline. It had taken him a few years to get comfortable with the castle again, with being around all the curious gazes and strange questions of young students. Students who had read about him, heard stories and legends and all kinds of tall tales about him. Eventually, though, he'd managed to find a place where he could keep them distracted with hinky punks and curses, hexes and disarming. He'd let them duel. Every year, in early October, Ron, Hermione, and he would come together and talk about the war. They'd sit with students and talk about what hate had done. Hermione always talked about house unity, about blurring the divide. She'd tell them all she nearly went to Ravenclaw. Some years, Harry would admit he was nearly a Slytherin. Ron never said anything at this part, not until Rose was a Slytherin and the Weasley dynasty officially broken. In her first year, he'd come to support her Slytherin Quidditch team in all green for the first game of the spring season, Hiss, hiss, painted on each cheek. Rose was sitting on his shoulders, clapping and cheering, a massive serpent flag following wherever they went. Ron was promoted to head Auror not long after Fred, their first son, was born, an October child. The last few years, Ron had been home every weekend. He no longer went on raids. He'd gotten to be as much of a stay-at-home dad as he could be, and good thing, too, because George was born barely ten months after that, ensuring they'd both be in the same year at Hogwarts when that fateful day came. Last Friday, Ron had roped Harry into helping him repaint the nursery again, and they'd talked long into the afternoon about Ron just quitting and staying home full-time. It was hard to make any argument against it, honestly, with little George's tuft of brown hair sticking up from the sling Ron carried him in, nestled snug against his chest. Fred was down for his nap on a blanket next to them, a stuffed lamb held close to his little chest. It was hard to imagine ever separating them. Ron had put in his notice a few days later. Hermione was thrilled. She had taken a step back, too, after all the chaos that had unfolded in the Department of Mysteries, after all the work she and Draco had put in to uncover another realm of magic, far more complex than anything they had expected, far more political, far more dangerous. At the end of that first year, she had resigned from the ministry herself, and, in September of the following year, she had strode up the same familiar path, covered in fallen leaves and with hints of early morning frost, to the entrance hall of Hogwarts. She had started her new post right alongside Harry, parchment and quill already in hand, fully committed to her new assignment. She was tasked with writing an updated edition of Hogwarts A History. While she'd only managed to finish about a tenth of the research required since that first year, Harry had been reassured on many, many occasions where they had met in the library together that the history of the castle would not solely focus on the wizarding inhabitants. House elves, for one, would have their own dedicated chapter. She became such a familiar fixture of that much-loved corner of the castle and could occasionally be overheard tutoring students, 
giving advice, teaching fifth years tricky little charms, and thoroughly overemphasizing the pronunciation of Wingardium Leviosa to otherwise besotted first years. Harry chuckled to himself at the memory while he walked between the winged boars. A shadow crossed above him. Been up to no good, have you? The answering screech ricocheted between trees. Flea swooped and dived, landing gracefully beside Harry, slipping his beaked nose beneath the outstretched arm. Harry ran his fingers down the familiar feel of his thick, matted mane and the bones that rippled beneath his leathery hide. Thought you must be. Didn't see you were volumi all morning, Harry chided him softly. He'd missed his companion, but he didn't say so aloud. Magic burned between them, shimmering in the summer air like heat. They'd been through so much together. We'll go home soon. Just some paperwork and preparations to finish up. Another year starting tomorrow. You'll be my most excellent teaching assistant again, won't you? You know how much they loved you last year as long as you promise not to eat the desk again. Flea snorted and pushed back gently against Harry's side. Ears flipped back as he listened. His tail swished, and Harry took it to mean there'd be no promises of good behavior. Harry didn't mind. It's a great lesson they'll learn, that, in the end, we're all just misunderstood creatures. Flea ducked from beneath Harry's arm and spread his wings wide, lifting off into the sky. The summer sun had disappeared beyond the horizon, cooling the otherwise balmy air as Draco appeared in the field, dotted with yarrow and Queen Anne's lace, outside the cottage in Tenebris Hollow, just as he had done with Harry all those years ago. His shirt sleeves were rolled up past his elbows, and his fair hair flopped over his forehead. He felt relaxed in a way that his younger self had never known. He looked up to the cottage, just as sturdy and constant as it had been for centuries, the coming dusk sang with the sound of buzzing insects and chirping frogs as he walked past the Wigan tree, now towering over its corner of the garden, touching its grooved bark as he went, wondering as he did so at the wealth of memories made beneath its ever-reaching bows. How Pansy had once sat with him under this tree and told him about Ginny, about Blaze, about the family they were making together. He remembered one spring day when he told Hermione he could reverse her blood curse and how she had cried in relief. He remembered a hot summer night when Harry had tried to recreate their first date beneath this tree, but with less of the hesitancy they shared in those early days, with more bravery and more firsts. He looked across the field, past the well, to the stone lauder Harry and he had built together, into the small hill by the forest edge a few years back, when the kitchen just wasn't big enough to hold all of their garden treasures and potion ingredients. Little things here and there that mark the passage of time, mark their growth, together. He smiled to himself when Harry's voice carried through the garden. Draco? I'm home, he said simply. Harry's head popped up from behind an unruly rosemary bush, his disheveled bun threatening to fall down around his shoulders, a fistful of carrots held triumphantly in his fist. I have dinner, well, part of dinner. Draco snorted fondly as he walked towards him. So much, and yet not much, had changed in the intervening years. Their love had grown and matured, as had their wigan tree. It was stronger, solid like the bedrock on which their home sat. Draco tossed his robes over the little wattle fence that surrounded the garden and stepped over the newest generation of egg-eater that sat in the path, soaking up the last warm rays of the day. Eggshells neatly discarded beneath the lettuce. 
He wound his way through the little intersecting paths around raised beds and lush fruit trees. He tripped, as he always did, on a protruding fig tree root in the path beside his perennial vegetable bed. Damn, he muttered ruefully, riding himself and closing the gap between himself and Harry, who stood to reach for him, a mischievous smile playing on his lips. Did you know? Harry started, and Draco rolled his eyes, knowing what Harry was going to say and smiling in spite of himself. Nine years they'd been having this argument. Nine years since Draco had planted the fig tree in the garden, despite Harry's repeated proclamations that the singular fig would take over the whole hollow. And nine years since he'd been tripping on that errant and destructive root. That figs have invasive root systems? Draco sighed in exasperation, wrapping his arms around Harry's midsection as he continued. Because they do. I don't know if you're aware, but in case you didn't know, they're invasive and they'll tear down whole houses if you let them. Harry, I swear to Salazar and on your Thestral's life. He laughed into his shoulder, knowing full well that one day their fig would dig its roots into every bed of the garden and lift every path, and knowing that he would be hearing about it until his dying breath. Harry kissed him, clearly satisfied with himself. Just thought you should know. Willemy's face was buried in an overabundant comfrey bush beside the porch steps as they walked up to the door. The nest in the low-slung thatch roof was occupied as it always was, and the inside was much the same as it always had been. The ceiling was completely occluded with dozens and dozens of herbs, dutiful and abundant, waiting for purpose in Draco's skilled hands. The kitchen had been updated, but their same mug still sat upon the scrubbed wood counter. Draco's encouragement was no longer in a small pot, but rather a large, shallow ceramic tray on his potion bench, sprawling happily out in all directions. Harry had moved his to the bathroom, where it had begun slinking up the clawed foot of the tub from where it sat, taking over, slowly but surely. Their home was cozy, and life spilled out from every nook and cranny, memories from every surface, love from every corner. Harry threw the carrots down on the counter and began to make them tea. They stood facing one another, waiting for the kettle to boil, their magic dancing around them, swirling through their home. Draco searched Harry's face, counting each new line, each new wrinkle that had appeared there through their years together, feeling love blooming in his chest at the sight of them. Beatrice had told him that growth and recovery meant allowing himself to sink into the feeling of love when he found it, to allow himself to enjoy the happiness that blossomed in his life. That of course there would be hard days, setbacks and downward spirals, but that the sun would always come back. That love and carefully cultivated joy could lift you out of the deep well if you let it help you. He struggled with that sometimes still, but in the quiet moments of peaceful domesticity he tended with Harry, he felt it, let it lift him and fill him to the brim. He pulled Harry to him, not wanting to let this feeling pass him by, to hold on to Harry and share his joy. The sounds of the coming night rose around the cottage, and the Thestrals nickered their familiar chatter as Draco threaded their fingers together and let the moment hang between them, heavy and full of promise. Full of their future and the love they had for each other, full of all the ways they had survived and woven their lives together with magic and trust. There in the dim kitchen, the smell of their tea in the air, soft lips pressed together, Draco thought about how it all began. Two boys, the misunderstood creatures that they were, at odds, finally finding peace in one another, helped along by a pair of death omens.
that's the end. But it's not really written as an ending, which I think is the nicest part. Mm-hmm. It's just now they go on living their wonderful lives. Mm-hmm. And they survive and are happy. I'm just too emotional to talk about anything. I think it's so funny because we spent so long saying that we couldn't write any fluff. Mm-hmm. But in the end... This epilogue is just nothing but fluff. No, but the whole, the whole thing is this idea that two people can go through something so intense and dramatic and horrible and terrifying mm-hmm. and seemingly unsurvivable and in the end can survive mm-hmm. and do survive and find immense happiness. Yeah. And I think that's... Like that is fluff. That yeah. that that is like the fluffiest thing you can imagine. Is are you, that are you saying our lives are fluff? Yes, <laughs> me in all of my like dragon exterior yeah. on the inside is just like marshmallow peep, <laughs> soft and molten. <laughs> That's amazing. It's so accurate. <laughs> what did you call me? Warm no. <laughs> Soft demon, warm demon, little ball of hate. Yes. Yes, that's me. But also full of, like, marshmallow. (laughs) I think because there's nothing more satisfying than knowing the depths of what life can throw at you Mm. and what horrors that we can live through. Mm. And knowing that, like, happiness is possible and attainable and reachable. It's Mm. just beyond... A little bit more struggle, yeah. maybe. And and all the times we talk about how difficult recovery is mm. and how shitty it is. We make so many jokes yeah. about how mind-numbingly terrible it yeah. is and awful. But at the end of the day, our lives are fucking amazing. Yeah, they're fantastic. Like, I have no complaints. No, I have none. No. I have all none. of my complaints I put into this fic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're, like, sort of bitter and in the yeah, past. Exactly. Of like, mm, <clears throat> things were so hard. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But in reality, I think both of us mm. have a life that is totally reclaimed yeah. and made our own completely. Mm. Like, yeah. there's nothing that I do that I don't absolutely just, like, love fully that yeah, I'm doing. definitely. I don't have a single part of my life that I'm, like, you know, I regret it or, yeah. you know, I'm uncomfortable with it or it's not me. Mm. Everything is mine and I yeah. love every... And even it, the shitty moments. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, yeah, my job is terrible yeah. today. Still my, <laughs> I can handle it. Yeah, still my job and I fucking love it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, that's so true. And, like, knowing that, like, you worked really hard to get to that point. Yeah. Mm. So people would say that that perspective is... And that feeling is part of post-traumatic growth. Mm. Which is a well-known phenomenon that, like, when people go through something really horrendous, Mm. they can come away from it so empowered and stronger Mm. and knowing that they're capable of surviving. And that's a very powerful thing. Yeah, absolutely. It might not, like, happen immediately after horrible things. Oh, it it doesn't happen immediately. (laughs) No, it took me a good decade. Yeah, Yeah. so see part one, two, and three of the fic. For all of the things that happened, and that was years later. Yeah, That's, exactly. like, just the process yeah. of recovery. Definitely. But, yeah, I mean, and, and I hope that if anyone gets to this mm. point and has listened to <laughs> us for the hours that we've been talking... Like, like well done. Well, A, well done, uh, you know, hydrate. <laughs> but, like, you know, B, if you're coming away from listening thinking, like, holy shit, you know, I can... 
I can work my way back from whatever I'm going through. You can. You mm-hmm. totally can. Yeah. And eventually there will be a morning where you wake up and go, I fucking love my life. Yeah. I'm so proud of myself. Yeah. And you should never dismiss that. Hold on to it. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I think a lot of people in our society and, you know, the current world are a little bit of afraid of being like people would say that you're pompous or egotistical yeah. or that you're too self-aggrandizing. Yeah. But if you've lived <clears throat> through some shit, mm-hmm. you lived through it and now you're happy and you're like, you know, feel like you're re- yeah. taking control of your life, you deserve all of the praise. Yeah. Like you, and deserve, you deserve to feel good about it. Yeah, yeah. You deserve to like stand on top of a mountain and be like, yeah. I fucking did it. Yeah. Suck my nuts. <laughs> I did it. That's what I say every morning. <laughs> And evening. Is that like your morning? Sometimes app- at lunch, <laughs> on the aff- lunch table. Daily affirmations. Yeah, yeah. Suck my nuts. Suck my nuts. I fucking did it. I'm still alive. <laughs> and until your dying day. Yeah, no, no. Like yeah. literally my deathbed, like yeah. my rattle will be yeah. like, suck it. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what? Why not? Why, Why not? Why the not? fuck not? You earned it. <laughs> exactly. That's the feeling that I have. Yeah. You know, like if you earned, if you fucking struggled yeah. and no struggle, never compare struggles yeah. because my story is my story. Your story yeah. is your story. Anyone's story. If it's meaningful to you, it's meaningful to mm. you. If you struggled through it and you survived it, then you struggled and you survived. Yeah. There's no comparing no. trauma. There's no comparing mm-hmm. histories because every single person who's lived something has yeah. lived something. Like, <clears throat> yeah. you, you don't get to say anything is more or less meaningful. Yeah. Well, and you should never diminish your own suffering because you think somebody else has had it worse. No, definitely. You should always, like, recognize that, like, you're allowed to feel traumatized about experiences. Or, Completely. Or, like, your struggling is valid. Yeah. All, all experience is valid. Mm. Like, <laughs> you have gone from one day to the next. Mm-hmm. You have done it. Yeah. <laughs> well done. <laughs> yeah. I applaud you. Yeah. That shit's hard. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that's the the message of the end that we Mm. tried to get through is that, you know, survivorship doesn't always look like how how difficult that we wrote it, Mm. you know? It actually looks like, at the end of the day, being really happy and fulfilled and loved, Mm. like, Mm. deeply and, you know, unashamedly and without expectation and without all of the caveats. Mm. Like, that that can just exist. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the other thing that we tried to write, <clears throat> is things like love, like unconditional love, not necessarily, well, definitely not just in a romantic sense, but, like, in platonic sense, in the kind of relationships that you cultivate, like, unconditional love, like, honesty, and, <clears throat> like, um, what, what else am I trying to say? Those concepts are, like, what get you through recovery. Do you know what I mean? How do you mean? Like building building spaces in your life, like to experience like just like loving the people around you and oh, be yeah. open with the people around you and mm-hmm. honesty, like those are what like get you to that point. Yeah. Well it's it's very similar, like the things that you want to cultivate in love mm-hmm. that would cultivate your own love mm-hmm. of yourself, which yeah. is what recovery is. Yeah, exactly. I mean recovery <clears throat> is building this place where you can love and be open with yourself yeah. and if that is mirrored in your relationships mm. with others then beautiful mm-hmm. and it's not about it's never about guilt or putting expectations mm-hmm. or like you're saying unconditional yeah. love it does not have conditions yeah. like similar to how you approach yourself you shouldn't i know so many people in recovery who punish themselves yeah. when they do bad and like yeah. 
Or when they quote-unquote do yeah. bad. Or when you have a bad day and you feel really guilty about having a bad day. Exactly. Yeah. Like, it's not about that. Unconditional <laughs> love means no conditions. Mm-hmm. Have a bad day but still love yourself unconditionally yeah. and those around you. Like, mm-hmm. I have bad days all the time. I'm like a really Same. shitty person all the time. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but I still can be like, you know, mm-hmm. I'm moving on. I'll do better. Mm. Later. <laughs> later. <laughs> At another point. Yeah. <laughs> Only giving your space to make giving yourself space to make mistakes, like Yeah. In your recovery. Definitely. Know? It's Definitely. important. Conditions help no one. <laughs> no. Yeah. And like to give love as freely as you can, I yeah. think also. Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. You're just like... In my very roundabout way. <laughs> you're just really sad. This is ending. <clears throat> yeah, I'm just like... It's over. We read so much. What did you want to write into the epilogue? Just that feeling of love. Yeah. I think that's why you have him in the garden and in the, yeah. in the house. And mm-hmm. making food and daily life. Yeah, and like very much so. Very blasé. Yeah. Because people always think that like... You know having these like big moments in your life like obviously the big moments are really important but it's like what you fill in the space between big moments that mm. like really actually <clears throat> I mean that's what makes up most of your life yeah you know and like if you can make those moments really meaningful yeah or you can just find great peace and enjoyment mm. in them yeah yeah I think that's really key because mm. if you can't enjoy you know the what you've set up your life to be, yeah. your sort of everyday existence, then change it. Yeah. yeah Until exactly. you find something, like, you know, <clears throat> you happen to run off into a forest in the middle of nowhere, not calling you out or anything, <laughs> not calling attention to you specifically. <laughs> I mean, a little bit, but like, <laughs> only as like allegorical to Draco. <laughs> Anyways. If your version of loving your life and loving your everyday life mm. is, you know, tending your own garden in the middle of nowhere, mm. then fucking find a way to do that. Mm. Yeah. Make it exactly. work. Or if, like, your best life is, like, making your people bolognese. Yeah. <laughs> I can get wild. That's yeah. my best life. Make bolognese. Yeah. <laughs> I will eat it. Yeah. <laughs> That's how this works. That's why this works so well. <laughs> My love language is obsessive cooking. Yeah. It's going to kill me. <laughs> it's okay. I'm loving the ride. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, do you have any more thoughts on the series? I mean, so many, but nothing coherent. <laughs> okay. I just like want to be <clears throat> thankful to you for <clears throat> writing it with me. I never would have written it. Like... It was your idea to start writing, so I was like, I'll never write a fic. I'm just going to enjoy reading it. And you were like, no, 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 let's just sit down and write something. And if you hadn't done that, I never would have done any of this. So, That's true. I did do that. But I would have never kept on writing without you. Mm-hmm. And I think you, you, made, you made the story so much better mm-hmm. and so much more real and relatable. Thank you. <laughs> oh, God. Don't do this to me. Well... It's important. I feel like this was a really cool thing that we got to do together. Mm. Yeah, I think so too. How many times have people been like, how did you write 
with, with someone. someone. Yeah, we get that comment a lot. Like, how did you do that without hating the other person? <laughs> like, that seemed think, to be, like, like the, the common thread. Yeah, of, like, how did yeah. you do it without hating the other person? Dude, even your therapist said that. Yeah, yeah, even my therapist is like, how did you, you wrote all of this with this other person and didn't once, like, rip each other's faces off. Yeah, we didn't really fight about it at all. No. We disagreed about some things, yeah. but I, I think... But I think that's, like, normal. Normal, and I also think the disagreements were important because mm-hmm. they helped us understand certain things. Yeah, definitely. And, like, that's also, like, just a normal part of a creative process. Mm, like, mm. even think about if you're drawing something, you may erase it. Mm. Or you may, like, change what your perspective would have been. Mm. Or, like, rethink about it. Mm-hmm. I mean... Unravel an entire sweater, yes. <laughs> that's not really about... <laughs> that's just... Okay. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> Um, but I think, yeah, people would ask, how did you do that without getting so annoyed Mm. with the person? And Mm -hmm. I think it's because we just wrote like our everyday life. Yeah. And if I was annoyed at you every day, I wouldn't be here. (laughs) (laughs) I would have been like, I appreciate you from a greater distance. Well, and I think like also like living that idea of like not having expectations or caveats and anything, just like I appreciate the things that you're sharing. Exactly. And like, I'm not going to have weird expectations around that. And anything that you did for the series or in your writing, Mm. every single sentence that you wrote Mm. is a gift. It's not on me to say, you know, no, it should be different. No, it should be, it, mm. it's bad. Or no, mm. it's like every single creative thing that something gives you is a mm. gift. It's not, uh, yeah, I don't know how to explain that other than like, I'm just thankful for everything you put into it. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't have done any of this without you, so thanks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now it persists on the mm. internet. Excellent. A piece of us. <laughs> Forever, forever for people to consume. <laughs> Beautiful. Mm. Partake of my offering. <laughs> yeah, immortalized on Ao3. Yeah, and now on uh, I Apple iTunes podcast and the Anchor and all and Spotify. Spotify We're on yeah. Spotify. Oh my God. <laughs> no one find out who I really. Am. <laughs> Oh yeah, no. so please. If you do find out who I am, keep it to yourself. I don't want to know that you know who I am. <laughs> keep it to yourself. I have enough stress in my day to day life. <laughs> Just like leave me to, alone. You don't need to be outed. Yeah, <laughs> fanfic writers in yeah. professional lives. Well, I mean, I don't think I would really care. Mm. I think the people who have asked me about it, who do know mm. me, or who I've spoken to about it, mm. who aren't involved in fanfic, it's been really interesting because they're like. You know, as I, as mm. we said in the very first mm. episode, like, yeah, I know Harry Potter fan fiction. Mm. Fucking weird, right? But, like, why not take a space to talk about huge issues that affect you mm. in a language and in a setting that other people can identify with? Yeah, definitely. And use that language and that setting as fan fiction and as writing a creative story to mm. move through those spaces and explore different things. Yeah. Like, that's a really powerful language. Mm. And a really powerful method of, like, working through things. Yeah, and so when I, when I tell people stuff like that, I'm like, you know, yeah, my partner and I, we wrote 330,000 words of Harry Potter fan fiction. And it's like, and it's graphic and there's sex in yeah. it. And it's like, well, you know, we wanted to explore certain things. And that was the way that we chose to explore yeah. it. And I think people do understand that. Yeah, definitely. Because there are so many people out there who just want to 
work through something. Even mm. If it's questioning your sexuality, if it's questioning how you identify with yeah. people, if it's questioning anything or yeah. any sort of, you know, what would it look like if this were true? And mm. what would mm. a world look like if this was true? And yeah. Using that to explore these different topics and learn mm. more about yourself yeah. and how you relate to things mm-hmm. is powerful. Yeah, without the pressure of having to create your own, like, um, world. Yeah. Do it in, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, great. J.K. Rowling gave us an excellent canvas to operate with Yeah, but also, when you don't create your own world, you're using a world that other people can immediately identify yeah, with absolutely. and then communicate with you yeah. about, and you can share mm. uh, with other people around mm-hmm. it. And I think that's really cool and really powerful. Yeah. And I think sort of fights against a little bit of the isolation that yeah. a lot of this work or this kind of work entails definitely because like talking about your sexuality or or even Mm -hmm. like what your kinks are or how you approach different topics all these things are incredibly personal and also very isolating or people feel ashamed about them yeah so if you use this like common palette Mm -hmm. then it's very easy to discuss and to access that's really cool yeah and it can create such an excellent community yeah it can Mm. it really can and I would have never guessed in a million years that we would have ended up writing Harry Potter fan fiction yeah, of Harry all the, yeah, <laughs> gay erotica yeah. a la Harry Potter. Yeah. Like I never, yeah, no, if you would have said that to me three years ago, I'd have been like, what? <laughs> yeah, I would have been like, that's yeah. hilarious. No. <laughs> but yeah, in my, my, the older version of me is mm-hmm. like, yeah, this is reasonable. Let's mm. do more. Yeah. The older I get, the less fucks I give. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. true, actually. Mm-hmm. Once we hit 24, mm-hmm. all those fucks went out the window. Yeah, no, they've been declining ever since. <laughs> yeah, I'm in negative st- fucks. <laughs> it's a steep downhill trend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. So, yeah, I hope that people out there are satisfied or, mm. or gained something mm. from reading this. And yeah. Sort of opened a window into our experience we have had so many positive yeah, comments we have. from people such like a really amazing engagement and we read and discuss every single comment yeah. that we get i mean it sometimes takes us a while to get around to like actually replying to them but usually we'll like take an afternoon yeah <laughs> and power through the comments no but i but... usually I'll, I'll usually get the email from e- mm. ao3 while i'm very busy doing mm. something mm. and there's been actually a few times where i was very busy doing something very hectic mm-hmm. and that I was very stressed about mm-hmm. and I look at my phone and there's like a comment being like you know I'm crying I'm dehydrated yeah <laughs> just like, me being like oh yeah I mean being like he's so heartwarming yeah. by that that it, yeah. it really like can totally change my day yeah absolutely which I really love um yeah I really appreciate it yeah and I, I also really love seeing mm-hmm. other people reflect on their own recoveries yeah. And like you were saying, like it, it decreases that sense of isolation. Like totally. I think we can convince ourselves sometimes that we're the only people struggling with a certain thing. And yeah. then when you when you actually start talking about it and putting it out there, so many people being like, I fucking get it. Yeah. Like, that's so how many powerful. people have read your descriptions of panic attacks yeah. and been like, Yeah, that's that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, that's what that is, me too. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, Okay, cool. I'm not the only I mean, it sucks for everybody else. <laughs> like who goes through that? But, but it's the nice thing to is, know. If you can figure out a way to kind of self-manage and, mm. and deal mm. with things like it's not impossible yeah absolutely. and you're not alone yeah and even just knowing that you're not alone is a very powerful thing mm. and i really appreciate it yeah and like knowing that there are, you know other people out there who've gone through this and to know that like you can get to a point where they don't control your life anymore mm. you know totally well you could <clears throat> say the same thing about uh drug addiction yeah. recovery or yeah, alcoholism exactly. you can get to a point where your entire life isn't about that yeah. and that's when that's not your identifying feature. Yeah, yeah, that's a great thing. Yeah, that's great. 
survivorship is possible. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Do you have any more things you want to say? No. No? I think I'm okay. You think you're okay? Yeah. Okay. You're great. The fic is great. <laughs> yes. Everyone listening is great. <laughs> Everyone listening is amazing and well done and thank you. Mm. And uh, yeah, you can always reach out to us. Mm. Somehow, yeah. we're findable. Mm. We are. <laughs> All right, thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah, we'll see you with the Wolf Star. Yeah, season four. Don't expect it anytime soon, but when it gets here, read the tags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all. Heed Just the warnings. Heed the warnings. <laughs> Hydrate. Yeah. <laughs> Take breaks. Stay hydrated. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bye, everybody. Bye.